Kayfabe with Bowdrin and or Barry and Sweet Lou. Today, we are joining you to discuss, oh, many different things. We've got some AEW discussion. We have, oh, the scourge of fan fest everywhere. Barry Rose is going to cut a promo and you're going to want to be in on that. And amongst everything else, we've got a, got a few other stories to share with you. Our match of the week comes. Barry, we're, we're talking this fucking century. I know some people will be very happy about that as we are talking August of 2014, Minoru Suzuki taking on the phenomenal AJ Styles, Barry, and a, uh, a really good match. As a matter of fact, it was a match that was voted 2014's match of the year in the old wrestling observer. Barry Rose, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing good. I'm celebrating the fact that in and out. You're celebrating the- MLK Day? <laughs> Uh, well, oh, that, was that was yesterday. yesterday me, yeah. That was, and I did. I gotta tell you, I did. I I did celebrate, but uh, I'm also celebrating the fact that In and Out Burger Jeff is coming east of the Mississippi for the first time ever, and they're opening up Tennessee. corporate offices in Tennessee, and then I guess opening up their first location in Nashville. So very excited. And what this means is eventually, now that they've got a warehouse on the East Coast, there will be other states that will be getting in and out burger. So I would imagine Florida and Georgia at some point, I'd have to think the states that are closest to Tennessee will see that immediate growth. So like maybe Kentucky, you know, wherever else, Indiana. But uh, I'm super excited about that, Jeff. And I know that you are as well. Well, I have a controversial opinion for you. What? Well, as a matter of fact, Today, today at the time we were recording this, I had the uh, lovely opportunity to drive my daughter Kelly and her husband Brandon to the airport in Atlanta, which is complete fucking nightmare, as everyone knows. But we were talking about they're going out to Las Vegas for a week, and I was talking to him, and I said, "Oh, you uh, going to go out there? You're going to hit a little, uh, little bit of the old In and Out Burger and stuff?" And they said, "You know, we've we've been to In and Out Burger before. A little disappointed." And I said, I said, Uncle Barry will be horrified to hear this. And Brandon said, here was his opinion. He says, was it a a good burger? Did Did I like it? And he had it animal style and all that. And he said, yes, it was. He goes, what I didn't like was how much it cost. Uh, because he th- felt the price was, uh, he said it was like, is it 12, $13 around that range, Barry? No, it's not. So it, it, May depend on what Brandon got total. I can tell you, and I, I say this, I was at In-N-Out Burger three times this past May. And, and, and I, let, let's be honest about In-N-Out Burger as well. I, Please, Barry, I, let's be honest. I don't be, want to everyone, lie, we're going to be really honest right now. I love In-N-Out Burger. I, if it was in my backyard, it wouldn't mean shit to me. It would be another burger place at that stage. So for me, the special, deal really is the fact that I have to go out to the West Coast to get it. Again, if I live now, you know, I'm moving to Florida, right? So right now I love Culver's. I know you don't. I love Culver's. And now that it's going to be right next to where I live, am I going to give a shit? Probably not. With it, In-N-Out Burger for the money has always been a great value. And May, I think, was maybe the beginning of inflation right around there. I I don't know exactly, but things may cost more now. You could get a double-double fries and a soda for under $9. So it kind of puts it on the same price point as McDonald's. In some cases, I think it's even cheaper. $13 tells me maybe he got the shake. Maybe there was something else involved. But I don't – it doesn't – $13 doesn't sound right at all. Okay, so – 
what he also said, uh, and you interrupted Uh-oh. me. I'm not going to mention that though. Right. But he said he thinks that for the amount of money that he spent on whatever it was he bought, he said, I can go to BurgerFi and get the same thing for a cheaper price point. Your thoughts? No, so I disagree with that, and I'll tell you, I was at Burger Fire. My God, it's my son-in-law. How dare you disagree? I need Brandon on the phone. Is he still on the plane, Jeff? Is he? he have is they landed? He is unavailable right. to us. All right, because I need Brandon immediately. So I was at Burger Fi, uh in November when we did our fan fest. There was one right around the corner, and I went in, and uh, I think it wound up costing me $17. I got a burger, fries, and a soda. The burger was a gimmick burger, meaning it wasn't just a regular cheeseburger. It was something. I forget what it was. I want to say it was like the the truffle jalapeno burger. I don't know. Michael Herrick will know because we were talking about it. When I was done, the first thing that went through my head was the burger tasted like a fancier version of Culver's. But again, Culver's, I'm guessing if I'm getting burger fries and a soda, I'm probably getting that for right around 10 bucks, right? So I viewed BurgerFi as being way more expensive than Culver's, but BurgerFi for me as well was also way more expensive than in and out Burger. So yeah, I, I, this would make a good segment if Brandon was available. We'll get him on the phone. We'll have this conversation, but no, in that order, if I'm putting it on value, value and taste, right? I would say, I would put BurgerFi last. I would tell you that I think In-N-Out Burger for the money is the best burger, probably followed by Culver's, followed by, I guess, followed by BurgerFi. And I'd want to squeeze Five Guys in there somewhere. But as you know, Five Guys is way overpriced. Way overpriced. I mean, it's like – so I I was there, I'll say, six months ago, and a double cheeseburger fries and a soda was like 18 bucks. And then I looked at the price. Like hot dogs, a single hot dog is like $6. So I just, you know, and I, it's really good though. Don't get me wrong. I, my only issue with five guys, way overpriced. It, it's a, at this stage, that's ridiculous, Jeff. So yeah, like you, you know, like I said, I'm a fan of five guys. What I'm not a fan of is the fact that, you know, when my wife and I go out, and, you know, we'll just want to get a hamburger or something like that. And I'll say eh, five guys and she'll go, you know, it's just so expensive because it's like two people can't go in and out of there. It seems like for less than twenty five fucking dollars, which is kind of ridiculous when you're just getting a burger, fries and something to drink, you know. Well, it's ridiculous, too, when you think that you could go to the store, you could get burgers, buns, cheese, bacon, French fries and whatever else you want. And for that amount of money, you could probably feed a family of six would be my guess. So I understand restaurants and markups, you know, because everybody's got to be in business in some form. Uh, but at the same time, how do you go into a burger place and you're spending $20 for counter service? That's crazy to me. Yeah. So, well, I know that uh, I'm safe in the knowledge that uh, when this episode comes out, uh, all the Barry Rose sycophants will be like, oh, no, In-N-Out Burger is the greatest. Anyway, I'm just I'm just kidding. I hope so. so I, I'm, well, I'm counting count on that. Yeah. Your fanboy, your fanboys will be out in force uh, trumpeting In-N-Out Burger, which I still haven't had. So now I have to say, Barry, I have had BurgerFi and I like BurgerFi a lot. You've told me that. Yeah. But when I eventually when there comes a time when I'm finally walking through the doors of wherever the In-N-Out Burger is, by the way, as I mentioned before, Whataburger uh, opening up pretty soon in this area. I'm looking forward to checking that out. But when I finally do walk through those doors of In-N-Out Burger, the problem is going to be, Barry, 
they're going to have a really high standard that they're going to have to meet up. And and if I go in there and I'm just like, ah, yeah, this is good. <laughs> you know, if I don't sit there and go, holy fuck, this is the best, you know, burger I've ever had of this type ever before my life has changed. I feel like I've gone to church. If I don't feel that way, Barry, I'm going to let you hear about it, motherfucker. That's all. I'm well, gonna say. I so I, I <laughs> if you ever make it out to the West Coast at your advanced age, which, you know, I have doubts, but if that ever does happen, yeah, I, I have a feeling you're not going to like it the way that I've talked it up. It is, well, it, as we mentioned, perhaps they'll be coming to this area relatively yeah. soon if they're opening up in Nashville. That's all I'm going to say. So, Barry, before we uh, start with our a voluminous episode this week, I have to tell you about something that came, you know, uh, of course, uh, for my many years at the old courthouse, one of the things that I do is I follow, there is a blog, yes, people still have blogs out there, folks. There's a blog that is centric to the Broward County Courthouse, okay? Uh, it's done by an attorney. It's been out there for, God, about 10 years or so. And so I, you know, go on there and see the comings and goings, and I want to say 80 to 85% of the material is private attorneys publicly bitching Without putting their name on there, putting on anonymous, which those are always the best sources, Barry. Uh, they're usually bitching about some judge. Oh, this judge screwed me over on a motion and fuck him. He's an asshole and da 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 da. And they'll post all kind of, you know, uh, comments about some judge that did dislike. But every once in a while, there'll be a really interesting little tidbit, little piece of intel. So Barry Rose, let me just read this to you. All it's right. regarding. A, uh, a motion and order that apparently had come down. I'm going to guess that there was some sort of a crime that was committed. Uh, a gentleman was in custody and it regards the Broward Sheriff's Office <clears throat> and their masturbation policy, Barry. Oh, okay. Barry Rose. Apparently the BSO, as they call him, has a masturbation policy. Okay. So what happened was I have a do you have I have a master I have a very strict masturbation. Nice. Policy. All right. <laughs> so anyway, uh somebody apparently needed to get some evidence and they needed to <laughs> photograph an inmate's erect penis. Folks, I wish I was joking about this. I'm fucking not, okay? So a judge wrote an order that is titled Procedural Aspects of Taking the Photographs. The according to the order here, the Broward Sheriff's Office asserts that it is against policy for this to be allowed to occur in the jail. Barry, can you believe that prisoners may want to, uh, in fact, <clears throat> masturbate while they're in custody? I don't oh. know if you've ever heard about that. Oh. Uh, let's see. However, because this may be potentially relevant evidence for what for which it finds the defendant has a right to present or to be present. It issues the instant order requesting that BSO make reasonable accommodations in this instant. Uh, in this instance, excuse me. It asks that BSO set up a room where the defendant may be taken and in the presence, can you imagine? And in the presence of defense counsel, the state and any necessary security personnel, defendant shall be allowed to have photographs of his erect penis taken. The court does not believe this entire process should take more than a couple of minutes once the defendant's in a room. Must be a younger defendant, Barry. Furthermore, this order does not give the defendant a pass to masturbate to completion. He shall not do so. This process shall proceed as it was a medical office. Oh, I'm sorry, as if it was a medical office environment, and he shall immediately, therefore, after, be returned to his cell. 
Oh, Barry Rose. There's a masturbation policy there. I, I'm no lawyer, but I have a feeling, and I'm sure you're a caveman, guy. Barry. Yeah, your, exactly. Your laws confuse me. This guy is, probably has a public defender. Uh, so, but I imagine if you had a good lawyer, you could fight this. You know, it's it's one thing to take a photo of somebody that w- will be undressed for court. But I would have to assume, uh, if you're, if you're essentially, there's a writ out for this guy to masturbate, to get an erection, I think a good lawyer could fight and win this one as well. I'm sure this well, won't happen I, in this case though. Well, well, I'm wondering if the witness in question is a, uh, a certain Beulah ball breaker, uh, the, uh, <laughs> there you, go. I, you know, I, I wish that I could sit there and tell you afterwards, uh, Barry, this is all a big rib. It's not. It's on this blog with a copy of the order, you know, taken. I I wish I knew which judge it was. I'm going to have to reach out. I still have a few contacts that may or may not be members of our Facebook group, Breaking Care People About Aaron Barry, to find out who, in fact, the judge was that issued this order. And if I can find out who some of the various and sundry parties are. Oh, Barry, I, I feel like we have to have a uh, uh, maybe an interview with with somebody that's willing to come on and talk about this and we, we'd have to be like really serious and not like of course like, yes yeah, no, which would be fantastic you know yes. well okay so when you're when you're masturbating or when your client's masturbating is he uh is he lubricating yes you know we could actually have a lot of fun with this well and, and not only that but you know like uh, i like the fact that he's going to get a couple of minutes so you basically have to go in there and uh you know you're in this very sterile environment and you've got a couple of attorneys some security personnel boy nothing sets the mood like that huh and you know (laughs) if you're a if you're a a female attorney whether it be for the prosecution or the defense uh you know you have to do your job uh i guess that's the day you're going to wear the high collar you know uh (laughs) because you don't want this guy sitting there looking at you and going okay i've got my idea of what i'm gonna you know uh, jerk the old gherkin here to uh you know that's got to be a little bit creepy needless to say true story oh please the year, shit, uh, the, so I guess it was the year either 1999 or the year 2000, the ex and I were trying to conceive and went to a fertility specialist. Apparently the best fertility, long story short, I was working in this restaurant in New York City, Jeff. Server or manager? I was manager. And Check I, yeah, exactly. You know, you, I was, you, you caught the huge pregnant pause on that one. I wasn't moving until you asked. Speaking of pregnant pause, did it work? <laughs> anyway, it, it did work. And, uh, but anyways, one of my customers, uh, that would come in with his wife was a, uh, a doctor of some sort, but he had a great relationship with the top fertility specialist in the city and set us up with an appointment. So eternally grateful. And as I like to say at the time, these were rich people doctors. These weren't the types of doctors we would normally be going to. So I had to go in and provide a sample. A sample means walking through the waiting room of about 40 people into a bathroom that's about the size of the smallest non-walk-in closet you've ever seen with a cup and a a porno mag that looked to have been from like the 1960s and had been used many times. So so, uh, let me just interrupt there, uh, your porno mag in question. Uh, we talk in your, uh, your penthouse, your playboy, or one of your old school, like beaver or swank, one of those types. So I never forgot the name of the title. It was Cavalier. A- I don't know. Shaved Asians. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so right away, uh, you know, Mr. Rose, uh, 
Uh, I'll take that one. And then they're knocking on the door. I'm like, can I just get five more minutes? I'm enjoying this. Give me a little time, but I haven't finished the article yet. I haven't. I'm reading the art. Wait. And then you hear the pages and it's like, because I wasn't the first guy to jerk off to this shaved Asian magazine, obviously. Shaved Um, Asians. It was. We may have to change the name of this episode now to shaved Asians. (laughs) Okay. I love it. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So anyways, to that, I, I, but yeah, masturbating, uh, when, and here's the other aspect. When I walked in that room, again, there's a waiting room and it's male and female that are in there. And I'm walking in this room and I've got a cup and I've got shaved Asians in my and other And you hand. know, they're all fucking judging. Every <laughs> single one knows exactly I'm going in there to jerk off. There's not a question about it. So yeah. <laughs> Oh, good times, bad times. Uh, Anyway, so let me, uh, smooth segue, Barry. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to go. Here's a, no, no, smooth segue from sperm to spam. Anyway, speaking of that, so my wife, uh, is getting ready to take a vacation to Orlando and they're looking for, uh, a place to stay. They're going to be down there for a week with my kids. And so they decided that instead of staying at a uh, hotel on the grounds, which I don't know if you know, is very a little bit pricey uh, yeah. out there in the old uh, Magic City. Uh, but uh, so they're decided, well, let me check out and, and look into uh, B- uh, Airbnbs. Right. You know, maybe we can get the, uh, the pretty much the same price. And plus, we'll have the access to the kitchen and the laundry and all that kind of stuff. So my wife goes on her phone and she starts looking up different uh, places, uh, you know, Airbnbs. Literally, she told me. That was the only difference in her, you know, usual phone usage pattern. And then within 24 hours, she said she had gotten approximately between 40 and 50 spam calls. And she like, you know, she called me. She said, I don't know what the hell's going on. My phone has completely blown up with these. You know, and I don't know about you, Barry. I get, you know, eh, maybe in a, in a week period, I might get five spam calls. Yeah, know. max for me. And, right? Yeah. I mean, it's nothing outrageous. And it's just like, eh, you don't recognize the number. Fuck it. And you block the caller or you just ignore it or whatever. And so uh, so anyway, so when my wife told me she got that many, she goes, this is unbelievable. And then the next day, I think she said she got like 30. And so she actually went on, on Facebook and said, you know, how do I stop all these calls? Uh, and then, of course, you know, you get the people that say, well, yeah, don't answer the phone. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but, you know, then, you know, block it and eventually they'll stop because other than that, there's really no way to do it. And so I told her, I said, look, I said, you know, if you had gone on some sort of porn site, I could almost sit there and say, well, you know, you went on a fucking porn site and that's uh, that's the problem there. Uh, but she only looked up Airbnbs, which apparently if you do that, folks, Get ready for the fucking spam calls. Barry, what's the most spam calls you've ever gotten in a week? Ooh, I don't think it's ever been as dramatic. Somehow I, her phone number is involved with this, right? That's why I haven't gotten it. I will tell you, and this is something that I've noticed, especially from something like Facebook or I was, uh, and we were talking, I was dealing with Morgan Stanley yesterday as we were doing a recording and the first four ads that pop up on Facebook now are all Morgan Stanley. So, it, oh yeah, your phone definitely listens. Yeah, it's this is all what is it AI or something, right? But it's uh, this is crazy. So yeah, I I don't get a lot when it comes to the spam calls. At least it's not terrible. But the beauty of it is I can see it because on my phone I've got that filter that says spam, 
So if they're calling me and it says spam, I usually just delete it. And then a lot oh, of yeah. times I'll go in and I'll block the number as well. Yeah. Anyway, I just, I thought that was kind of a wild story. So Barry, uh, why don't we go talk a little match of the week now? Oh. Our match of the week is from October. I'm sorry, August of 2014. As I said, wrestling observer match of the year, Minoru Suzuki, one of the great all time villainous, you know, uh, appearances of being a villainous heel in wrestling history, as far as I'm concerned. And AJ Styles, and, uh, wow, this was, uh, by the way, AJ Styles, pride of, do you know where he's from, Barry? Gainesville, Georgia. That's right, mister. That is where Mr. and Mrs. Bowdrin are located right now. That's exactly why we moved here. We said, have we you ever, there. have you ever seen him? I have never seen him. Okay. Cause I believe yeah, we, he is there, right? We eat locally and I, you know, I'm surprised that, uh, AJ hasn't been in for pizza where we go, but anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, Barry, you had a chance to watch this match, which by the way, the match that we have, we'll put a link to it on there. The match itself, I really, uh, without you know, waiting for Barry to tell, I really enjoyed the match. But I will say, this is one of these matches uh, that is not just out there on YouTube for you to watch, and it's got the Japanese commentary, and you don't understand it. This has a voiceover that was done by a guy whose name is Stefan or something like that, and he sounds like a guy that, uh, politely uh, putting it, uh, English is a second language. Would that be fair to say, Bear? I don't think there's any doubt. Yes. yes. And, uh, because it listen, you know, it, it's like, I, at first I thought it was just a, you know, an Asian American or Japanese person, uh, you know, speaking relatively broken English. But then, you know, you don't meet a lot of Japanese guys named Stefan, you know, so I'm thinking, well, if he's European, then he's, but when he announces, like, there's a, there's a particular spot in the match where somebody is kicking somebody and he says, Oh, look, he is stomping a mud hole in him. <laughs> Yes. And I got busted out laughing because he's trying to use these American, you know, catchphrases that I'm sure he's heard like Jim Ross say or something. And it just comes off so humorous. But the match itself, Barry Rose, tell the folks what you thought about this match. He had another line, too. And it's when Suzuki and Styles are I think they were slapping each other. And he said they're slapping the taste. And it just, he never went slapping the taste out of their mouths. He just yes. went, they're slapping the taste. He is unintentionally the worst commentator I think I have ever heard. My guess is this is just some fan talking and dubbing over the, the, the original commentary from New Japan, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, yeah he is. Uh, Kevin it, Kelly was not calling this match. Let's just put No, it Kevin Kelly was not for a minute, I thought, because I remember New Japan, wasn't it bought by a Russian guy at one point that may still own it? Remember that a couple of years ago? Mm, I'll bet Somebody bought New Japan, Japan, and I want to say he was European, and I'm thinking he was Russian without remembering correctly. But to that, I thought maybe this was the guy. I don't think it is, obviously. But uh, the commentary notwithstanding, this is a great match. It is uh, – I think Meltzer gave this five stars, as you mentioned, called it match of the year. I, my praise wouldn't go that high. And I think it's a great match. I think Suzuki looks great here. And, uh, I think you can see, you know, from recent appearances from Suzuki that he's, he's dropping off a bit, which is to be expected when you're in your fifties. Styles is one of these guys though that, you know, even now he's still having great matches. He works this specific kind of style where he can still have great matches. He looks extremely credible, uh, and he's great here. So I, I really do like this match. I, I just don't see it as a, a true match of the year. I don't think there's enough that's spectacular. The storyline is great because literally – 
there's a beginning, a middle, and an end here. They're, they do a great job in crafting a story. The work itself is phenomenal, but there's nothing that stands out that I go, oh, my God, I, I've never seen anything ever like this before. And that's what I think it's missing. But I do have a question for you, Jeff, and I was thinking about this. And in order with the top foreigner over in New Japan, let's say over the last decade, and I think we can go back to Prince Devitt, followed by AJ Styles, followed by Kenny Omega, followed by Jay White. I believe that would be the four. Does that sound right? Four. The four, the four main, you could say Bullet Club, you know, but the, the four. Well, I I thought you were going to include Osprey too. Osprey, I wouldn't currently because I think Jay White has been in that. Though I think Osprey is maybe the best of all of them, in my opinion. But I, I always, I Prince Devitt was clearly the top, the top, you know, non non Asian in Japan and New Japan, followed by AJ Styles, Kenny Omega. You could definitely make a case for Osprey versus Jay White, but I would kind of slide Jay White into it. Based off of that, and I'm going to keep Osprey out of it because, again, I think he is the best of everybody I mentioned. Who do you, out of that four, how do you rank one one to four? Well, i got to be honest with you. Thinks best. Okay. I, I really didn't see a lot of Prince Devitt stuff, uh, so it wouldn't be fair. I mean, he very well could be the best of, of all four of them, but, uh, you know, because I really wasn't watching their product then. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't think, uh, you know, New Japan went into a very definite funk. Uh, for a five to 10 year period where it just wasn't at that level that it had been for so many years. Uh, there was so much internally going on with the company and, you know, there were guys leaving and stuff like that. And, uh, so, uh, I, I mean, again, he very well could have been the very best one of the four, the guy that, uh, and even AJ Styles, who I thought was really, really tremendous in this match. I didn't see a lot of the stuff with, uh, AJ Styles. I really didn't pick up. The, you know, the New Japan stuff until, I don't know, like, uh, 16, 17, when, uh, Okada came back and began his run and he and Omega were having those incredible matches and now into Jay White and Will Ospreay. I'm more, uh, of a, uh, of a Kenny Omega fan than, um, than I am a Jay White fan. Uh, right, right now that sound you hear, Barry, is, uh, is Ryan Damon just, uh, goes, oh no, Kenny Omega. Oh. He fucking hates him some Kenny Omega. Uh, but, uh, so anyway, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, I guess I would go Omega into Jay White and because I really didn't see a lot of AJ Styles stuff and I really saw almost none of Prince Devitt. So what do you, uh, tell me what you thought of Prince Devitt over in New Japan since you saw it. I thought he was great and, uh, he was, it was a very unique, type of uh of style that he had he in my opinion i think prince devitt uh fergal devitt had really created this really unique style and it obviously caught on hugely with the japanese the one thing he always fought i think was size and uh he's not a particularly tall guy certainly is a thin guy as well though he's in great shape but he really connected with japan and uh i i didn't know if they were going to be able to bounce back from that certainly aj styles was the right guy and i think out of that four i would say uh aj styles was is probably my favorite i would go aj styles aj styles fergal devitt jay white kenny omega last 
That's really? not a knock. Yeah, but it's not. That's not a knock on Kenny Omega. So you think that Jay White is better in that role than Kenny Omega was? That's what you're I, essentially I, it, saying. Kenny Omega may be flashier, maybe a little more spectacular. I like Jay White though. I like his style. I haven't seen. I mean, I, and I'll be the first to tell you, I haven't seen a ton of Jay White in Japan. I've only seen maybe five to ten matches. But what I've seen, I think the guy is great. I think he could be a big star in this country. If booked correctly, which means that'll never happen. Yeah. You know, you know, one of the things, uh, giving credit words do, and I think probably like a hundred episodes ago, I mentioned this is that Kenny Omega, when I was watching, uh, one of these shows, uh, one of the New Japan shows was the first, I'm going to say guy from the United States, uh, North America, Great Britain, whatever English speaking guys. How about that? Okay. And because because uh, Kenny Omega was living over there, is my understanding, at least for a large part of the year, he actually went out and learned the Japanese language, and all credit to him for that. And I never forget the night that he picked up the mic to cut a promo, and he started cutting the promo in Japanese because he had learned Japanese. And the reaction from the crowd was like, whoa, you know, that he had – you know, and I think the Japanese fans were incredibly appreciative about the fact that this guy was over there working and becoming a huge star. And he took the time to learn. And this wasn't like a oh, Kenichiwa or, you know, Sayonara, right. some word, you know, a couple of words. He friggin cut a promo in, ja- in, in Japanese. He had learned the language. And, you know, wow, I was just like that. How come nobody thought to do that? How come? You know, and I, I'm sure that guys that spent a lot of their career over there, the Funks, Stan Hansen, guys like that, whatever, uh, they may have learned, you know, some minor Japanese to get them, you know, by. Like if they jump in a cab and they, you know, need to tell somebody where they're going, you know, enough to uh, communicate. But as far as learning enough to where you can get in a ring, grab a microphone in front of tens of thousands of people and feel comfortable enough and your ability to speak a second language, that's fucking amazing. And I sit there and I remember years ago, uh, Melcher talking about, uh, he, he put a picture of Bruiser Brody and, uh, uh, this was back when the Observer still, that's how long ago it was, the Observer still had photos. And he talked about how Brody, when, uh, after his match is over and the Japanese, you know, the newspaper guys and the guys from the magazine would come into the dressing room and they try to get a couple quotes that Brody would always speak very slowly and clearly for the Japanese reporters who maybe spoke a little bit of English so they could, you know, figure out what he was saying and they could, you know, and he was basically being so polite to them. That's part of the reason why Brody got over was because these guys were able to communicate to their readers and their listeners what Brody had said to them, you know, and it's just like, wow, that's so smart. Why don't more guys do that? And especially now, you know, Jay White basically trained over there. I don't know if Jay White has learned to speak Japanese. I don't know if Will Ospreay's learned how to. But you know what? It's incredibly smart if they have because it helps them, you know, uh, uh, relate to the audience, helps the audience relate to them. And I just think it's a really smart business model, if you will, Bear. Yeah, I mean, look, it makes sense. It's only going to make you better too, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah more. So I, I just don't think a lot of a lot of guys actually think about it. But I, I would think that a lot. Stan Hansen was a great example. Stan Hansen's wife is Japanese. Sure. So I, I have a feeling he learned. Uh, but I bet there are. I bet. I bet the maybe the top guys, the really the more intelligent guys, 
are probably at least trying to get the basics because it, all it's going to do, it's going to improve your standing over and over in Japan. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, and, uh, you know, especially if you're a younger guy that's going to spend any, like, let's like, just use a Jay White example. Okay. Because he was a guy that trained over there as far as I understand. Yeah. You learn to do it. You're better able to communicate with the other wrestlers. Cause I used to always wonder how the hell are you, you know, working spots out during a match, uh, especially. You know, in all Japan, uh, they would do these long, drawn out, you know, like finishing sequences that would take like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, just the finishing sequence. So I'm like, how the fuck are these guys doing this when they, you know, have a guy, you know, if, if you're wrestling a, a Japanese, uh, wrestler that doesn't speak any English and you don't speak any Japanese, you know, I mean, obviously the, the referee is, is doing some sort of communication, but this isn't just like, uh, you know, a drop down toehold. This is like a long sequence that you're having to go through. And I always thought that was pretty fascinating. So somebody like Jay White, who, uh, who's trained over there has learned, I'm sure, to speak the language. Uh, and again, is able to communicate with the other wrestlers, with the promoters and with the reporters and journalists covering, you know, different events. Like you said, it's only going to, you know, well, this guy over here, he doesn't speak our language. This guy here speaks our language fluently. He's been here training. Let me talk to this guy. So guess who's going to get more of a push in the newspapers and magazines? You know, Bear? Makes sense. Simple math. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So anyway, so getting back to this match, horrible commentary aside, uh, this is an electric match. Suzuki, uh, at this point, he had to be like, I don't know, late 40s, maybe 50 years old. And, you know, I love the way that he, and this is nothing new. I've, I've said this about him before. He comes off so fucking sinister, you know, when he's, he's working, uh, AJ Styles fingers and AJ has his, you know, hands in a glove, but like he's doing the bit where he's grabbing his fingers and he's trying to snap his fingers back and it's being sold, you know, like, uh, by AJ Styles, just like, get me the hell out of here. And, you know, and, uh, then he's doing the, uh, different like gotch style pile driver and all this kind of stuff. And AJ Styles, all credit to AJ Styles, man. He's completely keeping up with Suzuki, even though, uh, it's sort of a proverbial contrast of styles. Uh, no pun intended there, but, um, I thought this match was excellent. You know, could you fairly say maybe this wasn't five stars? You know, yeah, that's fair. I mean, was this like the greatest match of all time? No. But this wasn't, again, this wasn't Dave Meltzer saying this is the match of the year. This was Dave Meltzer's readers who voted this as the match of the year. And I think, uh, fair, fair point. That match, by the way, goes less than 20. It might be around a 16 minute match. Uh, yeah. this was part of the, uh, the, what do you go? The G1 tournament from, uh, from the year 2014. And, uh, I always love the fact that the Japanese do such a better job of, of organizing a tournament and making it mean something where they, they have the, uh, the newspapers and magazines that literally keep track of every result and the fans are able to follow them. Uh, and it makes it really interesting. So, uh, we will post a link to this match, which took place again in August 2014 in our Facebook group, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. And I hope you get a chance to check it out. And if nothing else, Check out the match just for the commentary. While you're enjoying the match, get get a laugh out of the guy doing the commentary because he is an absolute dude. Barry's right about that, my man. Barry, it's time to uh, once again piss off part of our fan base. Nothing we like doing more than that, which means, Barry, we're going to talk about the AEW show from last night, the time of this recording. So uh old friend of the show, Ron Lemieux, posting that he thought beginning to end this might have been uh, one of the best AEW shows that he had ever seen. So 
at the risk of pissing off part of our fan base uh, who know nothing but hatred and contempt for the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and Tony Khan. What did you think of the show? Boy, was it great. And uh, somebody had posted, I don't think it was in our group, but I saw it on social media earlier. It said, there's a pay-per-view tonight for free at 8 o'clock on, on TBS or TNT, whatever it was on. And, uh, and they were right. It was almost a pay-per-view-like quality. It started out hot continued and ended really, really hot as well. So I think it was one of the best AEW shows. I can't find a lot of fault uh, on the surface with any of it. To start off a match, Brian Danielson versus uh, Takeshita. Oh, my God. I mean, and you and I were talking about Takeshita off air, and this guy has got superstar written all over him. Well, that wasn't the first match. The first match was the Moxley match. That's right. It was the Moxley match. That was a good match, too. Actually, I I will find fault. At the end of the match, it appeared that they were doing a fake concussion angle with Moxley, and I got to tell you, I absolutely hated it. I believe it was a fake concussion angle, the way that they were framing it, and I hated that. I thought the match was good. Two thoughts with it. Adam Page discovered ice cream in his three months off. And he is going to be shaving his head because he's about uh, the hair loss for Adam Page is dramatic and quick. And I think he's uh, he'll be shaving his head and uh, have a. How dare you mention someone's hair situation, Barry Rose? He's bald as could be. I am. (laughs) Adam Page will be. Did you notice that last night? I I did not. I will have to uh, reflect. Look back. And then he must have put on 25 pounds as well. He was a little flabby. Still looked decent in the ring. He wasn't bad. And I'm glad that Moxley did the job for him. But at the same time, I did hate the way the match ended because it appeared that they were doing some very fake concussion angle, and I just hated that. Yeah. And by the way, how many guys that have uh, hair of any considerable length feel the need? I, I think maybe Triple H was the first one that started this. They always have to have the wet hair when they come in the ring. Yeah. And you know, cold, it, right? it, it's yeah, it's. Kind of, uh, so, uh, since you mentioned his name, uh, what'd you think of the Adam Cole promo? I was really, really happy to see that too. And I didn't know where that was going to go. I, I first thought, I, I thought, I thought it was going to be the disingenuous heel promo. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come out, tell you, I love you. Thank you. And then do the MJF, just turn on you, right? Like he's done. It didn't, didn't go that way. So I'm curious to see what they're going to do with him. I'm guessing. He's a baby face. I know that Bobby Fish is gone, and Kyle O'Reilly has got serious issues, apparently. There was a major setback in his return, and so I don't know if we're going to see Kyle O'Reilly again or if it's going to happen anytime soon. So I think Adam Cole may be on his own, would be a baby face. I've always been an Adam Cole fan. I know that a lot of people, they dad bod and all this other shit. I don't care. Guy can cut a promo. His matches are good. He's fine with me. So uh were you surprised that he uh he mentioned uh Brit uh and w- when he was talking about how he would have trouble sleeping and he would be pacing the house and Brit would come up and ask him what was wrong and the fact that he referenced and I mean it's not like uh you know some sort of a deep dark secret of the wrestling industry but the fact that he basically announced it during a promo I thought was kind of interesting what would you think It was and what I th- Thought was good, and I, I want to say he's. He, that probably wasn't the first time. At least I don't think it was. But that made me think he was making the the promo seem more legit. It was more from the heart. This wasn't a scripted promo, you know, which obviously it was. But but in in putting something like that in there, I think it also humanized him. 
yeah. uh, to the crowd, which is exactly what a, a guy trying to be a baby face is going to do. So I thought it was good. I have zero. I know somebody will have issues with it. I didn't have any problems with it. Well, so uh, let me just uh, offer one other commentary, and you tell me whether or not you think this is accurate. Someone on a different Facebook page was talking about it, spoke positively of the promo, but then mentioned he looks like he weighs about a buck fifty. What do you think? It, well, he's never been a big guy. I mean, no, I, I you know, I'm not. It's, it's almost like the way that uh, Crockett used to advertise Tully Blanchard as 240 pounds, which yeah. was a pretty good laugh there. So will they? Uh, well, they mentioned that Adam Cole is 220 pounds. I, I don't, I mean, yeah, but it, at the same time, Adam Cole is a giant compared to guys like Hook, Darby Allen, Jungle Boy. You know, these are all smaller frame guys. I think Adam Cole is bigger than at least they are. But, you know, Adam Cole, to me, Adam Cole, going back to, I mean, certainly in ROH, but I will remove ROH. But when he was in NXT, Adam Cole and, uh, the undisputed era to me, that was a major reason to watch NXT. Like they were that good. They were captivating. Do the people fact- still have a reason to watch NXT, Barry? Just asking for I somebody. Don't, I don't. Well, anyway. I don't. I haven't watched it since they got rid of everybody and started pushing the rookies. I think I've watched it once or twice. I just don't care. I haven't watched WWE either. I just don't care. But, uh, you know, look, if Adam Cole was two feet tall and weighed 30 pounds and was still having good matches and a good, it was a good promo, I don't know if I'd care. I'm like, you know, I don't know. The guy seems to me like he's doing his job and he's doing it well. So I have sure, no issue. Sure. With and, uh, you know, of course, kudos and we're happy that, uh, he's regained his health, uh, at least, uh, to, to kind of restart his career. And, uh, we're going to, so, so you had referenced the Brian Danielson match. With, uh, the, the, the Takeshka, I always fuck up his name, but, uh, this was, this was really strong stuff. And, you know, the people that talk about Brian Danielson as like the best in the world or top three, top five, whatever, uh, boy, was it reflected in this match, Barry. It was too. And he's had some good matches. I will say, I think he is slowing down just a notch. And I mean, going at the pace he's been going and, you know, it, Brian Danielson is one of those guys. I think, I believe he's 42 years old currently and he goes out and he still lays it out every single fucking match. There's no calling. You know, I remember watching Dusty Rhodes have three minute matches, you know, so he could go home that night. Brian Danielson lays it out every time he gets in the fucking ring. I, I have the utmost respect for him and always will. Takeshita is a superstar in the making and whether it's AEW or anywhere, this guy, if he stays on the path, he doesn't get injured. I think the potential of a superstar is is what what Takeshita is. And uh, before we started recording, Barry and I were talking about this with Lou, and I and I said, you know, I, I really hope uh, I'd like to see something like after a match like that, maybe uh, you know, on the Friday Night Rampage show that's uh, coming up here uh, tomorrow night, as the time we record this, or next week. That, uh, I would love to see a, a bit where you have, uh, Brian Danielson and he's uh, standing there with, uh, God, why am I drawing a complete blank? A, a Wheeler Udo, Moxley, you know, the, the Blackpool guys and they invite Takeshka to join the Blackpool club because he earned uh, the respect of Danielson. And I think that would be a great way for Takeshka to get a bit of rub from Moxley and Danielson the way that, quite frankly, that Wheeler Yuta has. What do you think of that idea, Bear? 
I think so. I, I think what would happen, I mean, Wheeler, Wheeler, you didn't, I, somebody was giving him a lot of shit on social media, but everybody gets shit on social media. Wheeler, you in the last year, the difference in this kid, uh, he's fantastic. I, I think if that happens though, what happens to Wheeler, Yuta? I think he gets pushed down. I, I, I think Takeshita is the real deal. I, I just, as I look at him, he looks good. He's built. He's tall. He can work. He said, kiss my ass so he can speak some English, which is great. Big fan of this guy. I, I'm so excited to see where he's going in the next two and three years. So, uh, women's tag match. What'd you think of that? I thought, uh, you know, I, I will say, let, let me just do a mea culpa here, uh, at least, uh, in, to some extent, you know, for the past two to three years, I kind of shit on the women, uh, in AEW it, did not get it, did not think they were talented. I love Britt Baker, uh, you know, her, her promos and her personality, her persona. I love that shit. Uh, but I got to tell you, as I watch this tag match in a match that, uh, I think you had told me about with maybe Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter before where I said, uh, or maybe it was, uh, with, um, what's the Asian women, uh, woman that was, uh, that did the run in on the, uh, the tag match. Uh, Shida, Hakari yeah, Shida. Yeah, Hakari Shida. Uh, that, that, uh, Jamie Hayter did with her maybe was really a strong match as strong matches I'd seen in a while. But, uh, as I was watching this, although it wasn't perfect. Okay. I sat there and said, okay, you know what? I am finally seeing where they're getting to where that level that I've always talked about, which is the late 80s, early 90s, uh, all Japan women. Are they there yet? No. But you know what? I'm finally seeing fucking progress. I'm finally not fast forwarding through all the, the women's matches the way I did. Uh, you know, I would love to see for, for as much as they have all this, you know, uh, this, these women that are coming in, you know, Jade Cargill again. No one's fucking putting Jade Cargill with these women. And I get it. They have two separate belts and stuff like that. You know how much Jade Cargill would benefit from doing a match with somebody like Jamie Hayter or, or one of these other women that, you know, that aren't like in their AEW, uh, you know, debut match. Put her fucking in with somebody that knows what they're doing in the ring so that she can learn and she can take some of that potential that she has. Because as I've said, she's got a great look. Okay. Great physique. Great. You know, the, the whole, uh, emerald green suit and stuff like that. She looks like a fucking million dollars. Well, let's, let's turn it up a notch and put her in the ring and let, because even quite frankly, if she turns into decent, she can, you know, they can make money off of her. And I don't understand why they don't do that. But anyway, getting back to the tag match, the tag match I thought was a really good woman's match. And, you know, like I wasn't fast forwarding it. Uh, before you tell me your thoughts on the, the tag match. So, uh, you know, I mentioned the, the guys with the wet hair. Here's another complaint I have with AEW. Okay. Just, just to be fair. But I'm, I'm writing them all down. Wet thank hair. Thank you. I do appreciate right. that. When, when they do the commercial break. Okay. What is, I don't know about you. I fast forward to the commercial break because I always DVR the show. So what I'm thinking is why since they're doing that and because everyone knows that nothing's going to happen during that commercial break, there's going to be no pinfalls, no submissions, no disqualifications. Why don't they do that at least once so that people, assholes like me, will go, oh, shit, I can't fast forward through those commercials now because there's a potential of something happening. Am I completely off base there? No, and, and I we either discuss. I think we discussed it privately, and this is going back like two years ago. And I think even Sweet Lou, I think this was, and you basically said 
you know, just like you, that's what a lot of people do, that we know that nothing is truly going to happen. Why not do that at least once and then show us the highlights when they come back from commercial? And then what will happen is more people will pay attention to the commercial as well. Like it'll actually help the advertisers, too. So I agree with you. Makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So anyway, the tag match, what did you think of it? I thought it was very good, too. Jamie Hayter. So I, I love the organic growth that takes place in AEW, whether it's Ricky Starks or, you know, or Jamie Hayter. Jamie Hayter's another one that came in, thinks she left, she came back, she got her push. The fucking crowd and the fan base took to her and literally the support. And even with the acclaimed, you can say that. The acclaimed and Jamie Hayter would have never gotten these titles if the fans weren't behind them because they they weren't being earmarked for that. So the acclaimed were essentially doing jobs half the time on TV. They they weren't, but fans jumped and and fucking fell in love with them. And Jamie Hayter's the same thing, though I've never seen Jamie Hayter have, have a bad match. She's always on point. She always does what's good. Britt Baker is solid. I know some don't like her. I think she's solid. Soraya looked okay. I, I wasn't paying as much attention. Tony Storm is very good. I did think the thing with Sheeta was uh, it wasn't dramatic enough. And, and maybe that's what they were going for. Maybe this is going to be one of those slow things. Well, why don't you tell the reason why uh, you're slightly disappointed to begin sure. with? Also, there was supposed to be uh, rumors slash scuttlebutt of an appearance that didn't end up happening. Yeah, so it was supposed to be Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet. And the big rumor was that Sheeta was going to take out Tony Storm ahead of time. And then Mercedes Monet would just happen to be there and uh, would wind up taking the place. That would have popped everyone. And it's not like Sasha, you know, Sasha Banks is very good though, I should say. But, you know, it's not like, uh, Carl Gotch is going to come out or something. But with it, you know, Boy, at this point, if Carl Gotch had showed up, that would get a huge pop. Yeah. That would get a huge (laughs) pop. But, you know, the, so much fun of the WWE and WCW days were guys who were jumping or, you know, workers that were jumping. And the fact that we would get a surprise maybe last night was actually really exciting. I, it was a letdown, but the match was good. I did think the ending was kind of weak. Obviously, Sheet is going to turn on Soraya or Tony Storm or both. And, you know, I don't know, but. It was still a very solid match and one of the best. And I don't think Jamie Hayter, if you watch her in the ring, she's like Daniel, Brian Danielson. She just busts her ass every fucking time and lays in the shots too. I will say that lays in the shots. But Jeff, you and I, you know, we don't want to admit how long we've been watching, but we're over 50 years each combined over a hundred years. We have seen a lot of guys fucking coast through matches. And just, you know, Jamie Hayter at the end of every match, Jamie Hayter looks like she just won out and just fucking laid it all out. Ultimate respect for that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, real quick, the last two things. I know that uh, Chris Jericho is also a very polarizing figure for his work at this point in the ring, which I think is fair. But I got to tell you, Barry, sure. as a personality in leading that group when they come out in the sequence suits, I fucking was laughing my ass off. That was awesome, I thought. It was so much fun. It was such a goofy segment. Yeah. I don't like Ricky Starks, man. You and your stupid idiotic lisp. You sound like an idiot. Like, jeez. I, I, you know. Where, where were your wife's hands? They were right here. Oh, yeah. my God. That was fucking hilarious. But the only problem I had is, you know, when he tells Jericho, move to the side 
I wasn't a big, you know, that was like a little minor. I'm talking to the guy. He could have said, I'm talking to the guy behind you, not you. You know, right. he tells somebody uh, like Jericho. And, you know, trust me, I've criticized Jericho being on every single episode. But that was a great segment. The sequined outfits. Jericho's laying out some cash for those outfits, I got to tell you. Uh, you know, but just some good shtick. I love the the potential of uh of Ricky Starks and uh what you Andretti Action Andretti that that was who I thought w- was fine on the when he was handed the microphone and did his cut his little promo on the group too that was good stuff it was fun stuff and uh if they can come out in purple sequins next week I'll I'll friggin pop for that too lastly let's talk about the uh the six man title talk about the MJF promo which I thought was one of his weakest of all time. Okay, why don't you tell us why? Sure. So first off, he was overreacting horrifically. With the facial mannerisms and everything, it was almost cartoonish. He really amped it up. And he wasn't this cocky asshole, which he still was kind of a cocky asshole, but it was more like he was a cartoon character, and I didn't like it. And then he said, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm paraphrasing. I'm in L.A. You're all a bunch of nerds. And I'm, like, thinking, really? Like, you're going to insult people and you're going to pull out a happy days reference from 45 years ago. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I just thought, I thought MJF and I, I don't know if this was advice from somebody else or something. You will go back and look at his facial mannerisms way overacting with the eyebrows and the grimacing. Uh, it was like Robert De Niro out there, you know, like a, a modern day Robert. De Niro. Well, and, and you know, like how about when Danielson came, did the run in that he runs and I get, he can play the chicken shit heel. Sure. But I think he should have been chased before he plays it. You know. <laughs> before he did. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're running while the guy's standing in the ring, you know, I just uh, thought it was one of his worst efforts, but it was very different than a lot of his other stuff. And it did make me think if somebody had given him some advice that he should not have taken. Well, and you know what kind of surprised me? So you had uh, Ken Jong from, uh, what do you call the... Uh, He's in a... Yeah. No, no, the, the Vegas movie with the guys that are on The Hangover. It stays in Vegas, The Hangover, right? Yeah, and he was awesome in that. And then I think he had a TV show, quite frankly, I never watched. But So he calls him out, uh, mentions that, and then he sees Freddie Prince Jr. in the crowd. And he references a movie that Freddie, you know, like the Scooby-Doo movie, and he referenced some other movie that he made in the mid-90s, which, quite frankly, I don't recall right off the top of my head. Uh, where you kind of – I was <laughs> waiting for him to mention that Freddie – Freddie Prinze was a – Jr. was a writer, wasn't he? Yes. So the two things that I thought – and I did like that MJF went for Ken Jeong and Freddie Prinze. I thought that was a great a great idea. What he missed out was he never brought up that Freddie Prinze – was a writer for the WWE. Yeah, that's what I, I was like. Twice. I was like, oh, he's going to fucking lay into him about that. And his wife is Sarah Michelle Gellar, right? Yeah. Who, was, who uh, Buffy. was not standing next to him. No. Was, you know. And who was the other guy? Was the other guy, the heavyset guy with the beard, was that the guy from Cobra Kai? Yes. Yes. Okay, it was. All right. Yeah, that was the guy that uh, got beat up and then sued. Uh, yes, that's what I thought. Yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah. Uh, Points well taken on that segment. Now, let's talk about the six-man uh, tag match. What did you think of that? I loved it. I, I First off, I've liked, I liked all seven of the matches. And, again, the criticism, I will say most of the criticism will center around the dislike of either the Bucks or Kenny Omega. Other people I saw were complaining that they don't like best of seven series. It's I very, fucking love that. I don't know why. I, was anyone, say, I don't 
Why would Jeff, anyone Jeff, not like that? Jeff, there you that get is on what's the called internet. episodic television. Yes. And it's, in a best of seven, you will keep coming back to see what happens in the best of seven. And they I, did know. a great job of uh, of a best of seven series. To me, they they did a great job. I, I why you would, but on any given day, you people are complaining about everything, and you know how it is. So I just you just move on from it and just go. If that's your world, that's your world. I'm sorry you're in it, but but to me. Great match. I think that was maybe my favorite match. And it started out, I mean, fucking hot as could be. There were some great spots in it. If I was going forward with this, I, I don't know. I don't know how many other six, other three man teams there are that they can do a lot with and have great matches. And I know that everybody loves Alex Abrahantes, the hype man. I call him the cheerleader. He, to me, he's totally useless. He doesn't need to be out there. And I wish I, I read it and I Googled him. And apparently, do you know why he's there? No. So apparently it's a favor. I guess he had been really instrumental in helping a lot of the Lucha guys out. Whether I think he was part of Lucha Underground, if I'm correct, I'm, I may be wrong, but I think he was. And uh, I guess he had done a lot for the Lucha community in this country. And this was a way to say thank you to him. And that's great. But I mean, we don't need to keep saying thank you every week at this stage. To me, he brings them down. I don't see it. All baby face uh, managers generally bring down everything, right? So yeah, I, yeah. I think one of the uh, and this will close out our uh, this particular segment about AEW. One of the things I find really interesting is within the wrestling fandom, Omega and the Bucks were so vilified for the yeah. CM Punk thing, okay? And the fact that during that match, they the fans in the is it the Kia Forum now? Uh, they wanted to see Omega and Bucks win. Which I, I think, giving the way the sort of the wheel has turned there, uh, to where when they first came back, you know, like in a, I think their first or second show was in Chicago, and that's CM Punk's town, and they were complete pieces of shit, but they worked their fucking asses off and kind of got the respect of the fans. You know, it's it's really pretty amazing how the worm has turned on that. You know that they're you know getting where the fans are chanting for their stuff and you know cheering Omega and the Bucks. I heard that in the crowd. Am I off base there, Bear? No, because they were they were actually being cheered above uh, above Pack and and the Lucha Brothers. But you know, we also have to take into account this is an AEW audience. And, yeah, I know that's fair. Yeah, and a lot of the people that dislike Omega and the Bucks are, are people that dislike AEW. So they, to me, it goes hand in hand. But they had a great fucking match, and uh, I I can understand. I guess I can understand disliking the Bucks. I don't understand a lot of times a lot of the hate that Kenny Omega gets because I mean you watch I did you watch the match uh from Japan against Will Ospreay? No, I haven't had a chance yet. I mean and I know and I think Cornette said this the other day that Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega will never headline a WrestleMania. I think Will Ospreay is maybe the best wrestler currently out there. I think Will Ospreay is amazing. Did you happen to see also, and by the way, thanks to Lou uh, pointing out that the, the Bucks are from the L.A. area, and maybe that had a, an impact. And I think on. he's right about that. Yeah. On that note, Jeff, were you secretly hoping that CM Punk would show up last night? Well, no, no. Uh, let's put it this way. I'll get to CM Punk in a second. The, the other point that I was going to make about Will Ospreay, did you happen to see the photo 
of uh of Will Osprey after the match from Japan of his chest. Yes. Oh my god, it looked like like hamburger. I mean, it was just chewed up and uh just completely horrific and and you know, you sit there and think, "Man, these guys are just laying it all out there." Now, let's uh CM Punk and then we'll we'll finish up. What I think is going to be interesting based on a uh a, a retweet or or something that was a repost from uh maybe Punk's page or something like that. If events that we have heard about, and we're not going to discuss them yet because it hasn't been finalized, but you could probably get an idea of what I'm talking about. If uh, events come to a finality where things happen that are being reported by various <clears throat> low-level websites, according to Barry Rose, uh, if they happen to follow through and all a pen is put to paper, Handshakes are done, bada boom, bada bing, we're finished. Uh, that just takes away a place for CM Punk to go, Barry. So then does CM Punk begin to stick out the proverbial olive branch about a potential return? Hey, you know, somebody said, uh, somebody, uh, I think, sent out a, uh, a a question to Meltzer on Twitter saying, uh, so what happens if the elite win the six-man tag uh, and uh, they're done? They're getting ready for the go-home of the show. The music hits and FTR and CM Punk come out on the ramp. So last night I was in my head going, could you imagine if CM Punk and FTR came out afterwards and then Punk cuts a promo and I, I would imagine Rampage's ratings on Friday night would be big and then Dynamite next week would be absolutely huge. I, a lot of people think it's a work and it's, uh, I should say a lot of people within the, the business think it's a work though they tend to think everything's a work. And a lot of fans who uh, consider themselves very smart to the business also think it's a work. I don't. I don't think it's a work, but I was hopeful that uh, maybe everybody would see this is what is best uh, for business because you could draw a shit ton of money with FTR and Punk against Omega and the Bucks, and you would do extremely well with this. But uh, well, what's I, the, what's the yeah. old uh, Jerry Jarrett line about personal issues? Uh, yep. Uh, Talking, I'm not going to give uh, that. What's his fucking face that lost a hundred million dollars? No, 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 no. The uh, the other guy whose initials are EB. I'm not giving him credit oh, for uh, okay. uh, for his little uh, book title. But uh, no, it was Jerry Jarrett that said, you know, I had to sign the locker room personal issues. Uh, uh, create, uh, you know, like uh, cash at the box office. It was something like that. I'm sure, but. Yeah. Uh, that being the case, if they could set aside whatever personal disputes they have, uh, whatever issues, uh, you know, happened that one night, personal issues draw money. Thank you, Loop. They could set that aside. You're right. They could make a shit ton of money. And, you know, isn't that what the business is all about? Making fucking money. It is, too. And I, I just I know that CM Punk has a different mindset at times uh, with the way that he operates and does things. And. There was something that came out yesterday, and I guess CM Punk made some sort of statement about uh, – it wasn't a statement, but he, he commented on the fact that uh, the Saudis might possibly be buying the WWE, and it was – I forget what it was, but you could clearly see Punk had no interest in going there either. So he doesn't need to. I mean, the truth is Punk, as a professional wrestler, was not the same guy when he came back to AEW. Some guys can do it. Daniel, Brian Danielson, great example of a guy that can come back that really is just as good. Punk was nowhere near what he was seven years ago. And just towards the end of his run, he was starting to show 
the, the, you know, what he was capable of and what he had been. But here's a guy that also I think was injured twice in a year. And, you know, both injuries required X amount of time to take off. So I, I think Punk's day is passed as a an active wrestler. I think he could be a special attraction somewhere. I just sure. don't see him. Yeah, I don't see it on a Well, no, no. And what I was going to say was if his day has, in fact, passed, uh, you know, let's be honest. Jericho is not the same guy that he was uh, 10 or 15 years ago either. But right. his his value is as a personality. Uh, maybe that's the kind of role that Punk could slip in if he does come back and he comes back as a personality or slash attraction. Uh, I think there's definite value in that. Uh, as a week to week guy like Brian Danielson, I, I don't see that happening. No, and I think that was the mistake that they had actually made was when you're putting him on TV. And I remember a couple of matches he had his first or second match whether it was Rampage or Dynamite, and I forget who he was working with, but he didn't look good, and boy, did he give his opponent, like, almost all the offense as well. Like, it just, I don't know. It, it, he To me, he was name only at that stage. Towards the end, the last couple of matches, good. Like, you could see that there was some punk there, but correct booking, it would work. Uh, but they paid a lot of money for him, you know, and I guess they wanted to use him, so, yeah. So, Barry, one of the things we wanted to address today was, you know, we uh, talk about the Fan Fest coming up in uh, June. What's the uh, date again, uh, Barry? June 3rd, Saturday, June 3rd. June 3rd in beautiful metropolitan Lutz, Florida. And, you know, uh, we have uh, uh, your headline attractions, your uh, your coffee uh, chats, and uh, their after-hours party and all that kind of stuff. And let's just say and I'm going to put this out there with no spoilers, there were different wrestling names uh, from wrestling past that you had reached out to uh, and had potentially reached an agreement with. And then the rug gets pulled out from under you because there was actually a guy that you said, oh, yeah, we got this guy locked in. He, uh, you know, we shook hands last night on it. Oh, and then it's like something happened and it's the scourge of the people representing talents that are uh, potentially looking to get booked at FanFest, Barry. Oh, take it from there. Yeah, so I'll say a couple of years back, I don't remember exactly, Jeff, uh, Jim Cornette, maybe it's three or four years, Jim Cornette had been, I believe, booked at an event in Knoxville, Knoxville, Tennessee, and he had driven Louisville to Knoxville, got there, and apparently it became a clusterfuck. I, I forget the, the precise details, but they didn't have his hotel room. There was nothing indicating that he was supposed to be there for this big event signing. And I guess he was trying to check in the hotel, but my takeaway was he had reached out to the guy who was bringing him in and had left him multiple phone calls, multiple messages, and I think... Let's call, let's call him... Uh... John Smith, just so we have no litigious. I uh, think we problems. should call him Tommy Slunter. Fair. And, yeah, and and I'll let people read between the lines. But Tommy Slunter was the son of uh, a professional wrestler that was uh, a guy who worked primarily in independence in the 1970s, maybe 1980s, and. Uh, his name was, uh, geez, what, his name was Jimmy Slunter. 
So I'm being very vague. <laughs> He's the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Slunk. Exactly. <laughs> just okay. You know, if you if you if you get a gun and put on a, a flak jacket and go out in the woods, you are something, right? You are a. I'm not going to say the word, but that's that's the last name right there. In any case, you can go back and you can listen to Cornette because he mentions him by name and he goes off on this guy about what a clusterfuck. Well, he he basically. Over the last few years, he is a guy that has somehow gained the trust of a lot of the, a lot of the boys and he has become, I, for better or worse, and I don't know if there's another term, he's become essentially the agent, the booking agent for a lot of guys. That's not the same as a booker, by the way. I'm not even close, not even close. Uh, and he, uh, he handles a lot of the biggest talents that are out there. He handles guys. You know, that we've had at our fan fest, though I didn't, I don't think we went through him. We either went around him or, or he wasn't handling these, these, these wrestlers yet. So he's, you know, he's been a scourge for a lot of people. And I'll tell you, uh, our good friend, Ben James, uh, Ben and Kelly, uh, he's dealt with him in at, at an event, I don't know, maybe it was the gathering in Charlotte or maybe one of the other ones, but he was the guy that essentially started raising prices and got in the ears of the wrestlers. And, uh, and I'll give you an example. When we had the Rock and Roll Express a year ago, a little over a year ago at our event, during the event, Robert Gibson calls me over and he's like, brother, come in, come over here for a minute. And he goes, we don't, we don't sign belts. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, oh, no, belts are like $150 each to sign. And I'm like, well, Robert, this is this is one price for all. We're not charging anyone more for it. We've paid you a flat rate. Long story short, Robert wound up signing the belts. But what this meant was this this promoter, this booking agent, got in the ears of a lot of the guys and said, you know, if somebody puts a belt in front of you, charge an additional 75. So, you know, if you walk in, if you walked up to, uh, let's hypothetically just take, uh, Ricky Steamboat and you walked up to Ricky Steamboat and you laid an, a photo, he might sign that photo and maybe the cost is $25. If you put a belt down, it might be 150. If you're putting down a larger poster, that might be an additional surcharge. What Tony did is he essentially I mean Tommy. <coughs> Tommy. I'm sorry. There you go, right? Tommy, that Tommy basically went and completely raised the prices and made the pricing totally askew. And, you know, like somebody was trying to get a baseball signed by a wrestler. I'm not sure why you would want a baseball, but I guess they collect signed baseballs. That it's more money. It's not the same. You've got to pay more action figures. And we know Ben James is a huge action figure guy, probably the biggest in the country. You want to get an action figure signed? It's going to cost you an additional 50, 75 bucks, whatever that number might be. So this is also in some ways, while Marty Funk has been vilified for this, and I'm not defending Marty Funk. So let's remove that off the table. But for some reason, this guy has gone kind of unscathed, and I think partly because he's behind the scenes and the wrestlers are the ones doing it. So ultimately, the fan is the one who makes the decision. Do I want to pay to have my belt signed? Do I want to pay an additional 100 bucks or whatever that fee is? Certainly, it's capitalism. You can walk away and say, no, I don't want to do it. But at the end result, it is the fan that's getting fucked. 
and, you know, a fan goes to a show and I've seen this multiple times and you show up and you're, oh yeah, so a price is 25 bucks an autograph, lay something in front. Here's the latest that I've seen. Now this one irks the fuck out of me, Jeff. And why? Because this is what I do. So if I've got a program that's got five or six signatures on it and I want to get another signature, there are talent now that will charge you more because there's other signatures already on it. So, I mean, to me, that's the ultimate greed. And what's happened is this specific Tommy fuckhead or whatever I was calling him, this guy has gotten in the ears of all the boys and saying, you can be charging this much. Your appearance fee can go up by a $1,000. Uh, when somebody comes to your table, you can charge them additional money. Fans don't always show up with a 1000 bucks in their pocket, and they shouldn't have to, and it's greed, and it's going to fucking – to me, this is going to be the death of, of this, this hobby, if you want to call it that, which is collecting autographs and things like that. So I've got a program, Jeff, from the Super Bowl of Wrestling, which – ties into uh, our next fan fest, which we're calling the Super Bowl of Wrestling Reunion. And I've got 14 autographs on that program. So according to this fuckhead, if I was to get an additional autograph from somebody that was on that show and have him sign it, it would cost more because I already have 14 autographs on it. That's the ultimate ingredient. At the end of the day, it's the fan that gets fucked. It's the vendor that gets fucked who doesn't get fucked are the boys and that's where the boys seem to love him because he's getting top dollar however there is some shady shit going down we had a handshake deal in principle with one of our with a talent i'm gonna not mention his name out of respect and i hope to work with that guy again so i don't want to get into that but uh we had we had to say excuse me for interrupting this would have been a a big name this would have been, as I take a swig of water, meaning I should chill because I'm starting to get for the heated. working man. For the working man, this this would have been a big name, and this would have been somebody that was big in the big two promotions, being the NWA, WCW, and the WWE, as well as a guy that was a massive massive college football star that is probably in a, in a lot of circles equally as famous for his time being a, a standout college football player. So damn. We had a, damn. So we had a, we had a handshake deal in place. And uh, as things go, as it was reported back to me that uh, this promoter that who he works with got in his ear and said, I wouldn't take this date yet because I can probably get you something on the same date for more money. And, uh, and that was it. We, you know, I, I can't wait for the fan fest for two months before or a month before, before I can start to publicize it. So we had to move on and, and we lost out. So, so in that regard, the fans got in a sense fucked again, though I think Ken Patera is a great guest because, uh, and I encourage you, if you haven't gotten tickets, please visit our Facebook page or our Eventbrite page. You can put in CWF Legends Fan Fest. But Ken Patera is going to be great. He's unfiltered. We know he's going to say motherfucker and cocksucker about 10,000 times. <laughs> pretty much guarantee that. Guaranteed. So I, I'm very excited that uh, we have him there. But I think that this concept, not just my fan fest, because ours is definitely in trouble, but I think even some of the bigger ones are because the pricing models are completely askew. And what's happened is as inflation has hit every, the entire world, and I read today 
it was up by 6.1 points or something similar uh in December it you know inflate I went to buy a bag of fucking chips yesterday to grocery store and this wasn't a Wegmans or Whole Foods I'm talking a shopping bag or something you know nothing it was $5 for a fucking bag of chips so yeah, yeah, not to go off on a tangent here Sure. You know, one of the interesting thing is you go to get a carton of eggs at Publix where we live. It's like eight fucking dollars for a for dozen eggs. Hey, now, why would eggs go up? And, and uh, I say I, I get that they're shipping eggs and it'll go where gas is on a truck. But a chicken's a chicken, right? Like, well, <laughs> what, what frustrates me and I'm not trying to shit on Publix because uh, I like uh, Publix. But it's not just Publix, right? No, no. It's, it's oh, everybody. Yeah. What's funny is we go from Publix you know, a couple miles away to a Kroger and it's like three bucks. So why the fucker takes $5 more at Publix? And, you know, uh, very fairly, maybe we go to buy uh, your bag of chips at Kroger's and they're $5 and maybe, maybe Publix has them for three. Maybe it balances out. I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, Lou pointing out that there's a nasty avian flu epidemic, which might uh, be uh, the cause of uh, some Bird of the problems. Flu. Well, I believe they were using that for because uh, turkey went up fucking dramatically. I walked into uh, a hoagie store, a sub store the other day. It's a local chain called Primo Hoagies. It's fantastic. And they actually have a sign that says anyone ordering a turkey sub, please know that there's a 50 cent surcharge on every turkey sub going forward. So I there could be something to that I get it. But but to charge more for an appearance fee seems ridiculous. If transportation is not involved and it's usually and all it's broken down into three things when you're talking about a talent. You've got an appearance fee, you've got transportation fee, and then you have accommodations. So transportation is on the vendor to bring in the talent, right? It's not costing the talent anymore. Hotel, it's on the vendor. So why would you raise an appearance fee? Why? Because you can do it. That's why you're doing it. It's greed. It's absolute greed what's happening. So, well, uh, okay, okay, let let me, let me uh, play devil's advocate here. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to bring up two points. The first point is, let's say, uh, you talk about, uh, booking uh, the talent. Okay. Would it not be fair to say, that in some sense that in getting the boys the the fee at a at a better price for the boys and getting them to uh be charged and I'm talking not about your fan fest I'm talking about various fan fests that you see uh posted out there on Facebook and Twitter or whatever but if they get the additional fee for a, a signing of a belt or a poster or whatever and it gives more money to the boys. Yes, I'm sure this particular booking agent also gets a cut of that. But is it not good because the boys who are now retired and stuff like that and have to live off this and are getting more money for their past? Is is it not fair to give the boys more money if so they can? It, it, the, the short answer is yes. Of course it is. Look, we're all for it. But by the same token, if I said to you, Jeff, I said, Jeff, why don't we go see uh, – AEW, uh, AEW's in, uh, you know, in fucking Atlanta in, in two weeks. Why don't we go? Wow. If only we, we could get tickets. <clears throat> well, if, if we only lose somebody, we get tickets. You know, we have to call, right? But 
what if we got there and we were under the expectation that tickets were, they're listed at $49 and then we get there and all of a sudden it says $89. How do you feel about that? Would you be no, able to upset? Not. I would of course be upset. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, while I'm happy that the boys are getting their money because look, a lot of the boys didn't save and that's on them. That's not on you, but. At the same time, it is the fan. It is the, and let's be honest, the, you know, the average wrestling fan, I'm not talking about, you know, the average wrestling fan is a working man. And it's when you, when you price gouge people, especially if that aren't aware ahead of time, granted, again, they can look at that and say, nah, I choose. I'm going to walk on a lot have. I've seen it. I've seen people go, I'm not paying that. That's ridiculous. But when you're taking advantage of the buying public, this type of scenario can only go short term. I don't see this as a long term deal. I see something happening and this is going to hurt. And I can tell you we're paying more for talent now than we've ever paid before by far. And that's inflation, but that's inflation because of guys like this, whatever the fuck I was calling him. That is, I'm all for the boys getting more money. That was the first thing I said when this, when they, when they, the, the, this, dipshit in Charlotte who completely stole my concept about CWF and is going to do a CWF panel. And I should point out that of the talents he has, two of the three will be at my next fan fest. The third is Roop, who I've already had twice. Uh, and again, I, his, his only response to me, instead of saying to me something like, Oh shit, dude, I, I should have contacted you, you know, and I would have been fine if you would have given me the heads up. You know what he says to me? The cheap way out. Oh, are you saying you don't want the boys to get a payday? Wow. My friend, that's called fucking deflection because I never once ever alluded to that. And of course I want the boys to get a payday, but this dickhead stole my concept and is running with it. Of course he calls it FCW. He doesn't fucking have any idea. Uh, so fuck him, fuck this agent. He can go fuck himself too because what they're doing, Jeff, they're screwing the common man. I need Dusty Rhodes here and Polka Dots to start dancing and clapping <laughs> hands because the common man is getting fucked and I will not take it any longer. Well, and you know what, what I was thinking <laughs> as you were talking about that, yes. I'm sure everyone appreciated your rant. I know I did. It is like, you know, you talk about, uh, Ben James and he has the, uh, the collectibles and stuff yeah. like that. Okay. So, so Ben, is forced to pay, let's just use an arbitrary figure, $50 to get somebody to autograph one of his collectibles, okay? Do you really think that Ben, because he's he's got a, a product that he wants to sell to the average wrestling fan, is not going to be forced to increase, like, somebody wants a... uh you know, a Hulk Hogan uh, figure, okay? And let's say for whatever, you know, Ben is able to secure Hulk Hogan's autograph on that figure for 50 bucks. Geez, I'm sure it's going to be a lot more than that. But anyway, Ben, you know, then, uh, you know, uh, uh, one, uh, one of the people comes to our, our Tom Hale decides uh, he comes to our, sh- our our event, because Tom actually comes to our events, very, uh, and he wants that Hulk Hogan signed collectible, okay? Ben, before he sells it to Tom, is going to have to raise the price because it's now autographed, he's had to pay for that. You know, it's like this, you know, it's like a slinky going down the stairs. You trickle know? down, my friend. Trickle exactly. Down. That's 100%. And now Tom's going to have to pay more for that Hulk Hogan autographed, uh, you know, collectible. So the other thing I was thinking about is, you know, the particular individual that you had had reached the agreement with that then uh, sort of uh, in a way backed out because he was told, hey, look, you don't want to set that date too far in advance because I can get you something else. Now, what happens? Potentially, 
if, uh, you know, that, that June 3rd day that he was going to be booked on, that I'm going to guess based on some things that you had told me that you had as far as ideas and plans where he would have really made bank, okay? He decides he doesn't want to do that because he wants to, you know, it's the proverbial bird in the hand versus two in the bush. Now, all of a sudden, say May comes around and he calls this particular booking agent and says, okay, uh, I didn't take that uh, CWF Legends Fan Fest down in Lutz, uh, okay? Uh, what do you got for me uh, on this June 3rd date that's now available to me and I haven't heard from you? Eh, sorry, there's nothing available. So now he's missed out on that fucking payday. Sure. Do you think that booking agent's going to say, oh, hold on, let me take out my wallet here, and I'm going to hook you up with what you lost? Fuck no. No, so, look, an agent is going to try to do the best job possible for the client. Of course, yeah. We get it. But there's also got to be a limit to it, and and you're right. Look, and, and a lot of agents might pass on a project and go, shit, we shouldn't have done it. But at the same time, we're not making films. We're not. This is professional wrestling, and when somebody offers you – thousands of dollars and then we, we were going to do several events geared towards the college football wrapping around the wrestling and try to draw in a football crowd as well the potential for this individual to make money was there and it wasn't about us making the money as much that wasn't it it was about being able to make enough to actually pay this guy because the appearance fee was high well so, and you were and you were also trying uh, excuse me for stepping on you there yeah uh, you were trying to attract a different audience you were going to have college football fans coming into the fan fest that maybe had never attend because now uh, this individual who's got the crossover appeal for college football fans and for wrestling fans. And now, you know, that that's out the window. And it's out the window and it's a shame because, uh, and I should say, I, I don't hold the talent responsible in any form. No, no, absolutely I actually not. like him. I, I, I've talked with him and uh, I like him and he's a good guy. He's, Basically going off of the advice of the agent. And again, the agent, it is strictly built off of greed. And again, I think the boys love this guy because he's getting them money. But everybody that is suffering are people that, you know, you want to rent out a wrestler and take him to a convention. You know, you're a vendor. It's now going to cost you a lot more. And obviously what we're seeing. But again, and the other issue I have a lot of times with the talent is, you know, if you're going to charge more for an item. Then you should state that before somebody shows up because there's nothing like showing up with the item, you know, and I'll give you an example. Let's say, let's say Ben has got a Wendy Richter figure, which I know he does. He's got five and Wendy Richter's doing a signing and it's $25 for an autograph and Ben's all excited and it's all he's thought about over the last couple of days. Fuck, I'm going to have five autograph Wendy Richter figures, right? That's in his head. He shows up. And it's sure it's $25 if you want a, your photo signed. But if you want a belt or, or an action figure, it's an additional 75. Meaning then it would having five times 75 is uh, what $375. He can pay that or he can be severely disappointed. And let's be honest, he's going to be disappointed either way. That's my issue right there. You know, there are. So many layers to this, uh, you know, and and I'll just tell you, folks, uh, Barry and I were talking the other day about another particular uh, wrestling talent uh, who had spent uh, a good amount of time in CWF. And I said, hey, why don't you uh, have you ever reached out to this guy? Is it a, a price point situation or, or what? And, you know, and Barry said, well, he has this booking agent 
who has now priced him out of our range. And I, I will say, in fairness to the talent and maybe a little bit to the booking agent, this guy was a, a big name. He was a big Absolutely. deal. But he's also somebody that, uh, from a purely selfish point of view, I would love to have talked to this guy because uh, I think it's fair to say that maybe the attitude that this general, uh, that this person generally reflected not only to uh, some of the wrestlers, but to the fans back in the day was not good. And he seems to have had a change in tune, uh, far more accessible, far more uh, personable and approachable. I he's born again, too, I think. That's and maybe that had something to do with it. I'm not really sure. But everything I've read about the guy at different fan appearances are that he's very approachable. And yeah. he's willing to ch- sit there and, and chit-chat and stuff like that. And quite frankly, because I was somebody that, uh, uh, not to you know pat myself on the back here, but I kind of led the charge that that I did not think this guy was that big a deal at, at certain points in his career as others may have thought uh he then uh how can I put this nicely uh he improved quite a bit uh for a uh, majority of his career and his persona as a wrestler and stuff like that and I really think he would have made for an interesting guest he would have made for an interesting uh Q&A guest and I would have loved to uh to talk to this guy about the changes in his career, how he improved as a as a wrestler, as a performer, as a personality, and then the change that uh, happened after his career was over. And unfortunately, because of the price point that this guy has set through his booking agent, he's pretty much uh, out of your price range, which is amazing because everyone knows Dave Penzer, you know, cash money. Dave Penzer has money <laughs> available to drop of a hat. He's even outpriced himself to Dave Penzer, Barry. Yeah, he he has too, and I gotta say, and, and we can. It's we, I think we can talk about who this is because there are different. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, folks. yeah, it's <laughs> it's Luger, and but partly Luger's price has always been high because I believe he's either got a transport van or or something similar. But I believe somebody also has to be with him. So you are paying for a second individual as well. So his fee is high. I believe uh, in his case, it's different. I mean, we all know the Lex Luger story. He was like living in an attic of a, of a pastor because he didn't have a penny to his name. So I don't fault him in that regard. I fault somebody who's a millionaire trying to gouge the fans. That's my issue. And there are a bunch of them. That have got, you know, they save their, a lot of people work for the WWE in later years, have saved their money. They're on the circuit. If they're not millionaires, they're probably not so far off and you're still going to fucking gouge the fans. Oy. Barry, you about ready to wrap it up, my man? This was a lot of fun. What a, what an action packed episode we had. Yeah, you know, we got, uh, what do you call it? AEW. We have masturbation. We have, uh, you know, spam calls. We have fan fest, everything you could possibly want from an episode of Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. So I will say on behalf of my co-host, Barry Rose and our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, I am Jeff Bowdrin, who apparently am jealous of Alex Marvez, but that's another story for another time. Gunny, my man, I love you, buddy, and I miss you so much. Sweet man, Louis Kippelman, do me a favor and take this fucker into port. Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll be right back.